Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the evening on a Saturday into Sunday, and the Atlanta Braves have now evened the series against the Brewers. It's 1-1 as the Braves get a victory in Milwaukee today. And to talk about all that transpired in Game 2, I am joined, as often, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Welcome back. Thanks, Brad. Good to be on with you. Uh, It was a a must-win game today, and uh, it was high stress. There were certainly some moments where I think everyone was holding their breath, but uh, a huge win for the Braves this afternoon in Milwaukee, and uh, you flip home field now, and and I think that they're positioned to to hopefully close this thing out, and we got lots of good stuff to talk about, but uh, good to be on with you, and glad we get to do this after a win. Yeah, uh, Stephen drew the short straw last night, having to talk about a loss with me. Uh, we made fun of you and Eric, as we are wont to do, for you guys not being with me. Eric is just on vacation somewhere, it's chilling. A, uh, you were working, I think, yesterday. Yeah, so you're, uh, you're sort, sort of a pass. <laughs> a savvy podcast veteran move to just know when they're going to lose and not have to record <laughs> versus when they're going to win. Of course, I know these things. Absolutely, and uh, shout out to Stephen for jumping on with me yesterday. By the way, if you missed yesterday's show. You are uh, free to download it again. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's going to listen to it now after game two, but if you want to download download it and subscribe and all that fun stuff to past episodes, it does help us. So go ahead and do that. At any rate, uh, we'll dive into today's game. And the Braves never trailed, which is uh, refreshing. Obviously, as you mentioned, there was some drama along the way, and we'll get into it. But, uh, you know, the number was, I believe, yeah, I'm looking at it now. The Braves in the regular season were 61 and 29 when they scored first. Uh, that is a pretty darn good ratio. If you're going to win, you know, more than two out of every three games, you're an incredibly good baseball team, and that uh, that held in this game as well. So, uh, you know, the, we'll get into the headlines and all that stuff. But out of the gate, uh, the first couple innings were pretty quiet in this one. I do want to ask you uh, before we get into like the nuts and bolts, uh, do you have any like thought on the same lineup? Because the Braves used the same lineup today. The Brewers changed some things up. You know, notably, I was getting questions about Jock Peterson not starting uh, basically ever anymore. Like, he hasn't started much in the last like, three weeks. Did you have a response to anything being the same? I wasn't saying that they had to panic, but Snitch just kind of like pressing the button and sending the same group out there every day. Yeah, the, the copy-paste lineup, as it has generally been for the last three or four seasons now. Um, yeah, I, I tweeted mid-game on Saturday. I would not be against getting Jock Peterson some at-bats. Uh, it is worth noting that while Jock started off very well with the Braves after the trade in the middle of July, uh, he had a pretty bad stretch to close out the season. Now, you could also argue that that might be because he was not playing regularly, especially once Eddie Rosario was activated. It felt like the Braves made it a point to get Rosario a lot of at-bats, especially as the left-handed outfield option. 
uh, just to get him up to speed. And he was injured. And of course, Eddie has had some big moments with the team. But yeah, I, I wouldn't hate to see Jock if, if you replace Adam Duvall. Uh, you can look at it two ways, right? Of course, one, it's, it's probably an offensive upgrade. Uh, historically, Jock has been very good against right-handed pitching. Uh, I know Duvall has some reverse splits going on, or at least recently has some. Uh, but he has just not looked great in this series, uh, even leading into the postseason. It, you know, he, he was not on fire the last couple games of the year. Uh, you are trading off defense. That's worth noting. I think Duvall is, is a better defensive center fielder. And of course, defense is at a premium in, in the playoffs. But I, I wouldn't be upset, I guess, is how I would, would phrase it. If they do want to swap out Duvall for Jock in, in game three, I wouldn't be against it. But if they decide to roll Duvall out there again, I'm also not going to, you know, come on the podcast screaming, asking <laughs> why this, uh, why this isn't happening. So I, I, either way, um, I don't think it's a huge difference, right? I, one way or the other, but I, I would not be against jockey as the home run in game one. He had a, a well hit single in his pinch hit appearance on Saturday. Um, I, I wouldn't be against it. No. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the number one question that uh, I got and the site got on, on Twitter, other than like the actual nuts and bolts stuff from the game, which we'll get into. So I want to at least talk about that a little bit. I'm kind of where you are on this one. I think it's less likely to happen because they won today also. And Jock, you know, I'm I'm also of the mind of Adam Duvall being a guy who it's kind of tough to pick your spots with Adam Duvall because he is uh, very boomer bust. We love Adam Duvall, but he is kind of a boomer bust player. He gets hot and he doesn't. And, you know, righties, lefties are not not a huge split for him, all that fun stuff. So interesting stuff. But uh, they rolled it out there. It worked. And Milwaukee uh, is at the drawing board again after they failed to score really at all today. So uh, to that end, it goes kind of quietly, other than Max Fried uh, cooking early in this game. And then the third inning, the fireworks begin. Um, Freddie Freeman, actually, sorry, I'll start with, I'll start with Solaire, who uh, rocketed a double down the left field line at 111 miles an hour. He hits the ball very, very hard. Uh, yeah. does. Um, Freddie then uh, drives in the run, RBI single to right field. Uh, the first of two, I would describe them as aggressive sends from Run Washington <laughs> at third base. The first one was not crazy, I will say that. Um, yeah. Sending Solaire was not crazy. It was aggressive with one out, to be sure. Uh, probably maybe a, a little bit too aggressive, but it worked. And then, uh, seconds later, Ozzy Albies hits a 381-foot double that was about six inches, if that, from being a home run. Um, that gave the Braves the lead at 2 nothing. It was kind of a strange play. Um, for one, I kind of thought it was gone. Um, even when it landed, I thought I thought it landed over the over the line in real time. And I think maybe the Brewers kind of did too. Colton Wong caught what was actually a frozen rope relay throw from right field. It was actually an awesome throw. Um, But Colton Wong, second base, catches the ball, kind of just stands there for a second, like very much hesitates, finally turns around and throws home. And Freddie Freeman was still almost out. Like, I honestly cannot yeah. believe how bad that send was for Rob Washington. <laughs> it was a <laughs> terrible decision to send him. It worked out because Colton Wong just kind of had a brain fart at second base. So yeah. I said a lot just now, but uh, that was a sequence that def- definitely helped the Braves. It went from, like, it could have been 3 nothing if Ozzy's ball goes over the fence. It also could have been a lot worse for Atlanta if there was uh, – cleaner base running uh, sorry cleaner throws or something like that i don't know it was, yeah. it, was it was a roller coaster ride but at the end of it they led to nothing yeah you're right i mean milwaukee is one of the best defensive teams in baseball we talked about that quite a bit in the preview podcast last weekend and you know it was it was a break for the braves and i think when we look back on game one and the frustrations there 
uh, you know, the first inning still looms large, right? And that was a really good defensive play by, by Milwaukee. Uh, this was a really bad defensive inning for, for the Brewers. Um, you're right. I don't think looking at replays and Jeff Rancor, the, who was on color commentary, of course, was talking that it didn't seem like anyone was telling Colton Wong that Freddie was running and maybe the other infielders didn't expect it either. Just how hard Ozzy hit the ball and how quickly it was back to the cutoff man, but it was a huge break for Atlanta uh, you're right. If it's even half the time that Wong stood there with the ball uh, and gets that throw off a little bit quicker, I think Freddie's out. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's these little things within a game that can be the difference. And it was really good for the team, especially after how frustrating it was offensively in game one uh, to score some runs and not only that, but just string together some hits uh, coming into the third inning. They had scored one run in the first uh, what would that be? 11 innings of the series. And it was on a, a solo homer from Jock. Uh, so to get a couple of hits in a row, you mentioned Jorge Soler, who has had a great series so far. And he has just missed two home runs by a total of like six feet yep. uh, in the first two games. I mean, we know how hard he hits the ball and he is very locked in. Also today, um, later, later in the one, like he had like a 500 foot f- like foul ball today. Oh, that yeah. was like just yeah. an absolute rocket that was not close to being fair really but hit that ball like everyone in the building that was there all, all the media guys were like that ball went 500 feet like it was <laughs> it was ridiculous yeah yeah he he uh the way he turns on the ball i mean he on obviously he is not quite the athlete that ronald acuna jr is no. but he has the same kind of batted ball where everything gets hit a million miles an hour there are no little bloops and and dunks with with jorge soler uh, but yes, to go up 2-0 there was great. I don't know how Ozzy's ball didn't bounce over the fence. Of course, you, you see that every now and then. It must be some some really soft padding atop that wall for a baseball that's traveled 381 feet to then somehow bounce backwards. I would love to see the physics on that one. But <laughs> thankfully, they were able to get two runs early, and, uh, and it, it ended up, uh, of course, being enough. Um, but in the moment, it was like, man, one. And of course, Ozzy didn't come around to score. It was like, man, one more run there would have been really nice to have. Strong agree. And uh, I, I did promise on Twitter that I was going to make fun of Ron Washington, who I love. I love Ron Washington. Like Me too. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I, I enjoy everything about Ron Washington. The interviews, the, the mannerisms, everything from Ron. Uh, yeah. An objectively hilarious send of Freddie. The first one was, uh, was aggressive. The second one was suicidal i would describe that as but it worked hey congratulations yeah. to all the all stop three. sign yeah the stop sign is not in ron washington's vocabulary no we are he, we are all green we are all green <laughs> at third base for ron washington okay uh moving on from there the fourth and fifth were very quiet um max freed cooking and we'll come back to him later i promise because he was fantastic in this game um a big insurance run added by austin riley with a one-out home run in the sixth um, that gave you the run that you were just asking for, Scott, to go up by three instead of two. That was very, very nice to see. Um, and then we get into our first, like, you know, managerial strategic drama question in the sixth. Well, I guess basically at the end of the sixth. So Free gives, gives up a two-out a two double in the sixth, gets out of it pretty quickly from there. Um, he had 81 pitches at that point, which people were focusing on quite a bit. I don't really care about this, and we did talk about this with Stephen and I last night, a lot of, like, the third time for the order stuff and – the, phil- the philosophical aspect of this and how teams are much more aggressive and pulling pitchers. And honestly, it was very, very similar to last night with Charlie Morton with the notable change of it was not a tie game, it was 3 nothing. That does matter in this, and I want to know what you think about that. But, um, you know, where did you kind of stand on taking Max out there after six? Um, because they end up, of course, ended up hitting. It's also worth noting that they actually hit for him. So 
it wasn't a situation where it was just like you could just leave him out there with no penalty. Yes, it was two outs, but they did have to actually let him bat, whereas um, last night it, would, it was actually a little bit different with Charlie Morton. So I say all that. Uh, I actually don't know how you feel about last night either. So what did you <laughs> think about the Morton thing? And then also quickly, go. Uh, what do you think about this one with Freed? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's especially the Morton one. You know, I was watching it on uh, DVR, delayed. Um, in the moment, I was not, like, yelling in my living room to take Charlie Morton out. Um so again, that that's all hindsight and sure. I wish they would have swapped him out and he wouldn't have given up a two run Homer, but uh, it is what it is. Um, I was very surprised. They took max out. I think it was almost a um, overcorrection to the decision from yesterday. Um, now who knows, maybe max after throwing six innings and 81 pitches and they were high stress, right? Every pitch in the postseason is high stress. Max might have come down the dugout stairs and said, Hey, I'm, I'm out. Like I'm out of gas. I, you know, I can't keep going. Um, who knows what it is. Maybe they were trying to preserve him and the chance they're going to need him later in the series. Uh, we'll never know that. But um, in the moment, I was very surprised they pulled him, um, you know, 81 pitches, sixth inning going into the seventh. I would have at least uh, allowed him to go out there to start the frame and see what happens. And sure, if, if he gives up a single or a walk, as Morton did yesterday, uh, you can pull him, right? Luke Jackson was warming up. So I think if I could do it all over again and knowing the impending drama that happened in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, uh, I would have set Max out there and, and just kind of let him pitch until he, he gave up a hit or something like that, especially with a 3-0 lead. Even if he gives up a solo homer, you're still up 3-1. Uh, ultimately, it didn't matter, and, and the Braves won the game, but I was surprised in the moment. Yeah, I, I wonder you know, kind of what he was thinking on this one. And honestly, he might have been asked, and I just missed it. I have been covering all kinds of things tonight, Hawks, Hawks stuff, et cetera. Um, I wonder if he didn't have to bat if he would have let him go back out there for the seventh. And that, that's a question that I would have. Because last night, Snicker did say and was actually asked about this, that he would have, um, that he was going to hit for Morton in the sixth if he if Morton had batted, but he didn't have to bat. So it was like a different decision. Um, this time around, you know, you have to actively send free to the plate to keep him in the game. And yes, he's, I know he's a good hitter. Uh, I, I even said today, like he's actually, he's better than at least one position player that they have. And that's Terrence Gore at the plate. It might even be more than one. Uh, Free is a good hitter, yeah. um, but you st- it's still a pitcher. You have to let him bat in that spot. And granted it was easier. I was, I was more surprised, honestly, um, than anything that it seemed like the decision was made before he had to go out on deck. Like they, like, Oh yeah. It was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. Yeah. It wasn't like there was hug watch in the dugout. It wasn't like, it wasn't a, like, will they, will they, or won't they, they were kind of showing him talking to guys and Darno and he hugged Darno and it was like, all right, he's coming out of this game. Yeah. yeah. That was the more surprising thing to me. Like it wasn't like they were waiting to see if they had to hit for him with Mm -hmm. a guy on because it looks even weirder. And you know, as as I said last night, I was, I was okay with this. I'm, I'm okay with being aggressive. You know, I'm, someone who does care about the third time for the order splits and max like Charlie gets much worse third time for the order, which pretty much everyone does, but he had, he has a, an ERA in the mid fours third time for the order. And it's in the mid twos before that. So it's a notable bump and the Braves will bullpen is pretty good. With that said, like I was not screaming either, you know, sending sort of as last night, I was you know totally fine with it. And honestly, I would have probably taken him out. I didn't think he was quite as crisp in his final inning, obviously the double, but he was just kind of missing some spots. He still looked fine, but it wasn't quite as dominant. So all that said, the three nothing lead also was interesting too. I would have made that, I would have made me a little bit, a little bit more likely to keep him in actually um, because of the three, three nothing lead. But on the flip side of that, 
there is no concern about like bullpen use in this game because they have the day off today. I mean, sorry, the day off tomorrow. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I can kind of see all sides. Um, my biggest thing, honestly, was the same thing I said last night. But if you if anybody missed this, my take is essentially uh, I'm okay with both sides, but don't try to tell me that it was that it was cut and dry in one direction or the other. That's what that's what got me last night was people no. acting like it was yeah. crazy to take Charlie Morton out. It's like no, it wasn't crazy. You might not just you might not agree. Same thing tonight. Like Snicker. There's a consistency question. Like, I'm not sure, short of what you said with Max wanting to take himself out, I'm not sure, like, what why it's different this time around. <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of a funny, <laughs> it's kind of a funny reaction side by side to see that. And it was different because they had the lead and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess we'll never know unless he's asked about it. And I just kind of missed it. But uh, it happened. It ended up working, quote unquote, in this game. So there won't be, like, a huge retrospective about this one. But right. I was okay with it. Uh I'm sure people won't, won't but I, I don't know. It was, it was weird. I was just really hoping beyond hope that they wouldn't give up a run in the next inning uh, just yeah. because <laughs> of the conversation that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I mean, it's one of those, it worked out, you move on. The series is 1-1, bullpen through three <laughs> scoreless innings, even if it wasn't clean. Uh, the bullpen through three scoreless. And the again, the Braves won the game. If they would have lost the game, I guarantee you, it would have been a very different podcast conversation. And post-game article of course that that's written about about that decision and thankfully oh. it didn't end up changing the series dramatically and, and we don't have to lament that decision um because the seventh eighth and ninth while they were scoreless there was uh there was some drama to be sure yeah the takes would have been incredible if they lost this game anyway uh before we get to the final three innings a word from our sponsors on the podcast we'll be right back with uh, all the stuff from the end of this contest support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Scott, uh, let us dive in to the seventh and beyond. So, uh, <laughs> number one weird thing, they use Jock Peterson um, with two outs and nobody on. They used, they used their best pinch hitter, by a wide margin, which was a curious decision. And then they also pinch ran for him with Terrence Gore. So you used your best pinch hitter and your pinch runner in the seventh inning with a 3 nothing lead and two outs nobody on. Curious decision. Yeah, um, I, I think in that situation, I, I would probably roll like, I don't know, anyone else, at least pinch hitting. I mean, Gore, once Jock reached, and hey, he did get a single and almost led to a two-run homer from from Solaire. Very close. Um but yeah, I mean, you probably want to save Jock for a, a bigger situation. Now, who knows if one was going to present itself? It really didn't present itself right. tonight. But And then Terrence Gore, 
is on the roster for one reason and one reason only to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. It was fine. I, I was more okay with using Gore than I was with using Jock. Does it matter in the grand scheme? Not a lot, but this is what we do on the podcast. It's process oriented. So I didn't love that. Um, you mentioned it with Solaire. I think he thought it was gone off the bat. It was 376 feet. Uh, he kind of posed a little bit after the swing. So I think he thought it was gone. Um, got a fastball to hit, just kind of barely missed it. And that was the end of that. Um, they bring in Luke Jackson, who was warming up, and that was the guy they were always going to go to in the seventh. Um, he got the first two outs quickly, then got hit with a comebacker up the middle. Um, it was tracked as a more than 100-mile-an-hour ball. I'm sure that hurt quite a bit for Luke. And the next batter, he walks on four pitches, uh, which I'm not sure that was directly related to being hit by the ball, but I won't say that it's not. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where you never know how guys are going to react. Um, so we'll stop there, and we'll get into more, this is some process stuff here. So... The Brewers announce Vogelbach as their pinch hitter. Uh, that, well, as soon as that is announced, Snicker goes to Tyler Matzik. Now, that's the right decision because Vogelbach has a massive platoon split. Like, about as big as you possibly will ever see. Like, a career 46 WRC plus against lefties and 117 against righties. Like, he's a righty masher, can't hit lefties. I totally get that. You go to Matzik. Now, predictably, and I think everyone saw this coming, at least they should have, the Brewers then pinch hit back for Vogelbach with a righty in Tyrone Taylor. So essentially the, the choice ends up being Matzik versus a right-handed bat that's pretty decent in Taylor versus Jackson against Vogelbach. I think that's the right decision that Snicker made, honestly, to go with. I, I think I trust Matzik at, against Taylor more than I would have trusted Jackson against Vogelbach. But did you have a preference there? You know, I think, yes, I would go with Matzik. Um, I think that Luke was clearly not, hundred percent after the comebacker. Um, I don't know where it got him exactly. Was it like on the, it was like kind of like, mid, like, yeah, it was kind of like, I mean, it was either that or it was like in the midsection because he tried to get out of the way yeah. and you know, it wasn't like a flush hit because the ball still got going through the infield. It wasn't like it just like drilled him in the stomach and it stopped. It had to carry him off of him to the left. So it was, I don't know. It might've been his arm might've been like his, you know, side of his ribs or something like that. Yeah. But it, it kept going pretty fast. Well, and, beyond <laughs> right well when it's 110 miles an hour it doesn't yeah. matter where it hits you i mean that True. that hurts um and then mentally too i mean i again we don't never could to, to get into the, the imaginary mind of a player but i would imagine a ball coming back at you 60 feet away at 100 miles an hour or 110 is not super fun um yeah i was good with the move um uh, you know tyler matzik has been stones the, the in big leverage situations the last couple of years um no, again, it worked out, and I was I was fine. I think once I think Luke threw four straight balls after the comebacker to walk the next batter too. Um, I think it was clear he probably wasn't long for the game, and and to bring Matzik in, I think was the right call. Yeah, I am with you on that, and uh, it's kind of went the way that it's supposed to work. Like both managers did the right thing, and ends up with Matzik getting ahead 0-2. Um, he got flat out robbed on the third strike call, uh, and I was like having flashbacks to uglier days where that oh, would have been yeah. a play that would have lasted my entire life, like Eric Gregg, <laughs> Eric, Eric Gregg style. But yeah. um, it didn't matter. Matzik gets a strikeout in the next pitch, and all is forgotten. So they navigate that. Shouts to Matzik for that. Um, in the eighth, they did put two guys on base before uh, Eddie Rosario was retired in unassuming fashion, is the way that I wrote that down. Um, not a big deal, but I thought it was funny, at least on some level, that they let him hit against the left-hander in this spot, whereas last night they hit... Arcia in a similar position. Um, 
I don't see the logic in that, but alas, here we are. I spent <laughs> way too much time last night talking about the Arcea here thing. Here we so, are. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still kind of baffled by all Arcea usage in this series so far, but here we are. Um, yeah. Matic then uh, provides some more drama in the bottom of the eighth. So he has a five-pitch walk to open the inning. Then that, that got Smith and Enoa up in the bullpen. But Snicker just rode Matic the entire way. He uh, gives, up, gives up a jam shot, and it's first and second no outs, and everybody is terrified, including me. Um, but then he gets the next three guys. Uh, gets two strikeouts, the last one of which was his 28th pitch of the night. A lot of work for Matic to get four outs. And uh, honestly, this is, uh, I'll say this with a you know straight face, I did not love leaving him in the entire way. It ended up working out, and uh, I wasn't, like, losing my mind. But given what was coming up for the Brewers, it was three straight righties, and Matzik didn't have his best stuff, I, I think it's fair to say, in this game. It ended up working, and he really, you know, I, I think I, I used the word gutty on Twitter, but I thought that was a really gutty performance from oh, Matzik yeah. to get out of that. But I also was like, why isn't it, why isn't it you know, in this game right now? I wasn't sure what was going on, but it worked. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from all of that was that Enoa was available. And I think it also probably speaks to their opinion of right-handed relievers in this bullpen, not named Luke Jackson. Um, I mean, Jacob yeah. Webb, yes. I guess, is the other possible. I, 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 by the way, I, I like I like it. You know, I spent some time with Steven last night talking about this, but this is a situation where this is an elimination game in my mind. You have to... Yep throw out all the stops but i agree with you Th- those takeaways are interesting you know snicker did say that they wanted to have you know available in games one and two um but to have him as the right as the righty up in that spot is notable and that they clearly had him ahead of the other options and it's similar to what milwaukee did with freddie peralta in game one where they used one of their you know good starters in the bullpen and that's kind of what you do in the playoffs but you know what is not Freddie Peralta in terms of being established. That would have been like using Ian Anderson. It's like mm-hmm, Peralta, sure. Peralta being used, it's like using using Ian. Whereas Enoa is like, all right, this guy who's like a, you know, has been a solid four starter for them this year. Uh, having him up in the eighth there is interesting. I think I agree with it though. I think I, I also yeah. trust him more than the other right-handed guys. So yeah, sense. I think I do too. And you're right. I mean, really with, with a occasional exception, every game needs to be treated like an elimination game in the playoffs. And I know you can't always manage every game like that, right? Like obviously you have to at least win, go four games. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, if you, if you missed it and uh, don't follow Luke Jackson on Twitter, uh, Luke Jackson tweeted and he has a wonderful nickname for Tyler Matzik. Did you see this Brad after, uh, after the game wrapped up? I did, but I want you to say it out loud. So go ahead. <laughs> Is it uh is it Tyler Nats uh, Nutsack? Is I believe, that is I believe I believe so. That was correct. Tyler Nut Natsack. So you know, next time uh he goes out there, um he has a an, a wonderful nickname from Luke, who seems like an A plus guy. Um you're right, it, it took some some high leverage, high stress pitches from Matzik there uh to get out of it. And uh again, every you know, it's amazing how for as calm and smooth as the first six innings were with Freed. Uh, inning seven, eight, nine were, were full of drama and it, it kind of went zero to a hundred really fast, but thankfully, uh, Matzik made some tremendous pitches and got out of the jail. He did. And, uh, credit to him for all of that. Um, all right. And we'll go to the ninth now. I think then we'll get out of here. One sort of non sequitur. Travis Darno has looked awful in this series at the plate. Uh, he is O of six with five strikeouts. He did have one walk, but that ninth inning plate appearance made me write this down. Um, 
I'm not trying to say the, the, that the sky is falling, but he does not look good right now at the plate to me. Just just something I want to say out loud. Do you agree with yeah, me? Yeah, he, he looks late on all the fastballs. I don't know if that's just something mechanically or... I mean, he hasn't like, been the same guy all year, really. Like, he's not been... Yeah, obviously, yeah. last year was kind of an outlier in how good he was, so that was expected. But he had the injury, and then he's just not been particularly awesome. I'm not saying that you do it. I mean, maybe you do. Do you have any opinion on, like... I saw some questions about whether you start him tomorrow. I mean, start him on uh, on Monday. Oh, yeah, you have to. I think to. you have to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you can't pull him, but he might just be a zero in the lineup at this point like there's some safety issue with like you want him catching he's just a better receiver and all that stuff maybe you just give that up but anyway he was not good um at any rate uh the the only other highlight of the ninth inning was Solaire's massive 500 foot fly ball that didn't count and then you turn into Will Smith so uh it's it's still so funny to me every time Will Smith enters a baseball game it's like the end of the world on Twitter it's very funny including including me I will I will I added to it today I did not feel good about anything that was happening um, he actually got ahead of Yelich one and two to open the inning, and then gave it back with a leadoff walk after you know kind of imploding a bit. And then for the second time in, in as many innings, the Braves gave up a like seventy mile an hour flare single. There was one in the eighth, and there was one in the ninth. And again, it's first and second, and two, and no outs. Um, then though Smith gets out of it in trademark fashion because a, a pretty solid fly out to right was a good pitch, and then a double play like. You look up and it's just over as fast as it was as fast as the trouble emerged as yeah. fast as it was like as it went away so uh, it worked uh, I guess <laughs> the, I guess the tying run was at the plate multiple times in the last two innings but um, a shutout in, in the record books yeah no you're right I mean they Yelich worked a good walk and then there was that little bloop shot and it was like come on like really this is how we're gonna do this tonight but thankfully I believe it was back-to-back pitches. He got a fly out to right and then the double play, which was hit pretty well. It was just right at Austin Riley. Um, but yeah, I mean, for <laughs> as poorly as the first two batters went, to get those next three outs on two total pitches was great. And obviously to to even up the series there was was massive. Um, and, you know, hopefully it gets him some momentum going back home and now game three. Yeah, so we'll go to that now. Let's just look ahead a bit. You know, they have the day off on Sunday, so everyone should be available in the bullpen. That's nice to see. And then we know that Anderson will have the ball for the Braves on Monday. Um, the Brewers are being coy with not naming Freddie Peralta as their starter. Their beat writers are pretty convinced it's going to be Peralta, and I think I would be too. Like, he's by far their best option in this spot. I guess they could use Eric Lauer or, or uh, Adrian Hauser are the other two options, but Peralta is just better and right-handed, so I think I would certainly use him. I'm going to assume it will be Peralta, but that's interesting. You know, Anderson has been pretty good this year. Not dominant, but pretty good. You know, ERA in the mid-threes. Uh, worse than that late in the year, a 4.39 ERA in September with 12 walks. Um, about, a, about a walk every two innings or so. Uh, and his stuff's not been quite as crisp. I still feel okay, but there is a drop-off in comfort level, for me anyway, between these first two games and going down to Anderson and even even further down to the, to the game four. But game three, it's like, all right, Ian's been good in the playoffs in the past, but we'll see what he has. Yeah. He did finish out the year pretty strong. He was not sharp at all when he came off the injured list. I mean, I remember there was a start, I think it was, granted this was a month ago, but he had a start where I think he had like one swinging strike the entire night, which is a very concerning trend right if you're not missing bats that that's a problem and he of course gets a lot of strikeouts when he's going right so 
it is a drop off. It's also a drop off for Milwaukee. Um, that was some high level pitching in games one and two on both sides. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, assuming it is Peralta, Peralta is good. He's not an ace or elite by any means, but um, it should be a really good game. I think we've seen in the first two games here, these are two pretty evenly matched teams. They have some tremendous starting pitching at the top. Uh, the lineups are good. They're not great by any means, but um, so far it's been a really evenly matched team and or game and series, and I would imagine it'll be more of the same in game three. Yeah, as a note, you know, Peralta has been pretty good in his career um, overall, but this year was the best year of his career. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that, but he actually had a 2.8 ERA and 195 strikeouts and 144 innings. Like, he, he made the All-Star team this year. Like, Freddie Peralta was unbelievable this season. I'm not sure how real that is, but that's just worth noting. Like, I don't think he's that's like a true talent level for him, but it exists. Uh, final thing on, on pitching, by the way, I should, we should just say like Max Fried's line from today. I, I'm guilty of not just kind of, I'm not focusing on that enough on this podcast, but Freed threw six innings, three hits, no walks, nine strikeouts. Like he was absolutely lights out and going back, you know, both in the playoffs in his history and this year, like he finished the season, his last 11 starts before this one, this year, he had a 1.46 ERA, which speaks for itself. And his last five playoff starts, including today, he has thrown 29 and two-thirds innings with 32 strikeouts and a 2.43 ERA. Max Freed, everybody. There yeah, he's he is before our eyes turning into one of the dominant left-handed starters in the entire league. Um, that was some big boy pitching today. He was so good last year. Uh, you know, 2019, we saw him f- turn the corner, right? I think before that, we'd been teased. And then 2019 was his first mini breakout. But I think we've seen this year, especially – ever since the all-star game or so. I mean, he's genuinely been one of the best starters in baseball over the last two and a half months. And he was ready to go from the first pitch of the game today. And the Braves certainly needed him. It feels like whenever the Braves needed to win most over the last six or eight weeks, it's been Max Freed. And every time he's delivered, uh, yeah, Max was outstanding and, uh, you know, had tip to him. He, he really did carry the team today when they needed him. Big time. A nail start from Max Freed. And, I promise we'll get into the, into the game four, game five starter thing because there's been lots of talk about like who you go to and how you handle that. That'll be that'll be safe for later on. But free was awesome in this game. Uh, game three and beyond stuff. So for the series now, I said last night on the podcast if the Braves won game two, I thought that, I thought that they'd be favored in the series in my mind. I I do believe that the Braves now have home field. It's a three game series. They're not huge favorites, but I think I I would now pick the Braves to win the series. Um, 538 has the Braves favored, 57%. Fangraphs is closer to a coin flip. It's actually 48.5% um, for the Braves, so a little bit underwater there. And the betting market, you know, FanDuel, all those places, it's about a coin flip right now. Does that make sense to you, and uh, where would you be leaning for this now best of three the rest of the way? Yeah, the projections sound right. Um, you know, the Braves took care of business. They split games one and two, I think, is the road team. That's what you're looking to do. Of course, if they could have won game one, it would have been amazing. But, hey, the Brewers are a good team, and they led the division the whole way for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, mathematically, it's pretty close to a coin flip. And I, uh, in, the pre, in the preview podcast, I thought it was going to be Braves in four. I thought they were going to split in Milwaukee and then take care of business at home and close it out in Atlanta on Tuesday. And, again, we'll see what happens. There's a lot of baseball left to be played, but I think we've seen – so far, there really hasn't been any big surprises in this series. Um, and what I mean by that is we, we thought it was going to be fairly low scoring, and it has been. 
We knew the Brewers' biggest strength were their top two starters, and both of them were good. Woodruff today was just okay. Uh, He was not great, but, uh, you know, Burns yesterday, too, for that matter, was was good. Obviously, his final line was good, although he was not super sharp. Um, You know, we talked, UI and Eric talked, the Brewers' lineup is solid, but it's not great. This is not the Giants. This is not the Dodgers. Uh, You know, it's, it's a solid lineup, but nothing to be terrified of. Um, and they've only scored, what, two runs through the first 18 innings of this series, and it came on a, a two-run homer. Um, and, and then, you know, for the Braves, the offense has been okay. Uh, they've missed out on some opportunities, but ultimately they've, they've they're what, 4-2 is the score between two games. <laughs> yes. uh, and, uh, you know, I think offensively the Braves have looked a little bit better, even if they have left some action on the board. Though, if you were a Brewers fan, you could probably point to the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings today and they may be wondering how they ended up not winning this game, given all their chances. So it's, it's two teams that are very clearly evenly matched. If they played a hundred baseball games, I would imagine it'd be pretty close to 50, 50 the whole way. Um, but now it's a chance for, you know, the Braves to come home to truest and hopefully the stadium's rocking uh, and give the team an advantage and they're able to close this out. Yeah. Hopefully the building is rocking for that raucous one o'clock afternoon start on Monday. That's just great scheduling. Um, uh, yeah. At any rate, at least for you, it's 10 a.m. So congratulations! It is a that. 10 a.m. playoff game. Actually, I think I think last year against the Reds, there were a couple of 9 a.m. on the West Coast. Yeah, there, there, there were some like 12. I think it was like 12:20 or something last year in that in that yeah. best of three early on. <laughs> it was it was interesting for sure. Wake up, have a cup of coffee, and and turn on some playoff baseball, baby. Hey, yeah. it's you know it's it is what happens when you have the Dodgers and the Giants, two massive the West Coast markets playing. They're, of course, going to get the primetime slot in the West. And then, you know, the Boston Red Sox. There's probably more Red Sox fans in, like, a square mile in Boston than there are the entire country for the Brewers. So I kind of get it, right? Like, it is it is what it is. I know the Astros, too, have always complained, even though they've uh, made the World Series in, what, like three out of the last five years or something uh, something crazy. They always get the early games, too. And it's, it's just a product of the market you're in and, and the opponent, too. Yeah, it is frustrating and, you know. I'll do my rant another day about the Braves fan base being enormous because it is. But alas, here we are and a one o'clock start. But no, it should be fun. Uh, I know as people that picked Braves in four, you know, getting the split in the first two games is uh, is all you needed, you would think. But uh, we'll see. This series, as I said, I, I would favor the Braves slightly the rest of the way. Um, but, you know, margin for error is not huge here. And you get one bad start from Ian Anderson or one blow up on, on, uh, on Tuesday in game four and we're back to square one. So... We'll see what happens, but uh, Scott, anything else that you want to add before we get out of here, other than you know Max Fried, awesome, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Thank goodness they held on today because that was such a tremendous start from Max. Uh, he he deserved to be the center of focus tonight after the game, and he was so so good, especially when the team absolutely. I mean, it wasn't technically a must win game, but they had to win this game today. I mean, if if you want to win this series, it's so hard to be down zero two in a five game series to come all the way back. Uh, so hats off to Max and. Uh, the team came up with some timely hits, and the bullpen had three very uh, – <laughs> what's the right word? Interesting. Well, well, Interesting. And at the end of the day, three scoreless innings, and that's all that matters. Uh, and now much-needed day off tomorrow. Hopefully gets everyone able back to get back to Atlanta and, and get some rest and then uh, get right back at it because uh, early Monday afternoon we'll be, we'll be going again. Yeah, early game Monday. Uh, we will have a podcast at some point. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to look like or when it's going to drop, but between the game on Tuesday, sorry, between the game on Monday and the game on Tuesday, we'll have another podcast, I promise you. So uh, whether it's uh, me or Sean or 
Scott or Scott or somebody else or some combination. We will have podcasts after every game. I promise you that. Um, please subscribe to the show. If you are a new listener, welcome aboard. We uh, talk about baseball, talk about the Braves on this podcast. Hopefully you enjoy it with a, ro- a rotating cast of characters. We also have multiple shows. This is the Talking Chop podcast, the flagship of sorts. We also have Road to Atlanta, which covers the minor league side. And those guys do a fantastic job on that show. And then the Daily Hammer with Sean Coleman, um, a daily look, you know, four or five times a week, basically on uh, on the National League, on baseball overall, and also, of course, everything with the Braves. So a, uh, a plethora of podcast options. So please subscribe and review and rate and tell a friend we'd be grateful for all of that scott thank you sir for joining me we'll do this again sometime soon if it's not me and you for the next one we'll have me and you again in the near future sure. sounds good buddy thanks for having me on hope everybody's doing all right out there and uh go braves yes sir enjoy the rest of your week everybody and we'll see you next time